Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Great to have you on the line, and uh, I'm really absolutely delighted today to welcome an incredibly special guest. I am so <laughs> honoured, I can't tell you, um, to have the wonderful Simon Zucci with us. Hello, Thank Simon. Thank you very much, Very kind of you, and uh, really pleased to be on your group. Uh, so, uh, so thank you for asking me. Well, I'm I'm absolutely honoured to have you here, uh, Simon. You know, you're one of my heroes, one of my property <laughs> heroes, and uh, there's no doubt that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today were it not for you. So, you well, know, remember, I've got a lot to thank you, you for. Very well, you coming on uh, our Master One Accelerator and getting very excited about HMOs, and I remember you meeting your first joint venture partner on that course as well, and and you've just taken off from there. So, really well done to you, Wendy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Simon, it, had it not been for that, I certainly wouldn't have written my books on HMOs and be running my mentoring program and everything else that I'm doing now. So, um, you know, it's, it's been very, a very exciting journey. So I, I really have you yeah, to thank, thank you. for a huge amount of that. Now, Simon, let me, let me start. <laughs> for, for those people who perhaps don't know you and I, who wouldn't know Simon Zucci but if there's people uh, who maybe don't know you um, can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started in property and how HMOs are part yeah. of your journey I'm sure there are lots of people who don't know who I am so very very briefly um, I basically uh, I, I live come from Kent originally but I live in, and was working in Birmingham I started as a graduate trainee uh, at Cadbury's after being at Birmingham University and as soon as I got a job I bought a house and I got one a little bit bigger than I needed so I rented out two of the rooms to my friends who were still at university so I kind of came a, a landlord with with uh, kind of tenants straight away um, not not through any deliberate thing just I like living with other people and I thought it'd be good to buy a house really um, and then a couple of years later um, because I was saving lots of my salary and um, because I, I had a part-time business wedding student nightclub events, I had money building over my business bank account. So I decided to buy a second property. What most people do is they move from one property, um, they sell the first one to buy the next one. But I didn't have to do that because I had some deposit money. So I bought my second um, property with a deposit. By the way, my first property I had no money, so I had to borrow the 5% deposit to do that. The second property I had a deposit, and uh, when I moved into that second property, I had a light bulb moment, Wendy. And that was that every month on this first property, I was renting to students, so it was a student HMO uh, in Selly Oak in Birmingham. I'd get money arrive in my bank account. And, and I didn't really have to do any work for that. And you take off the mortgage and the insurance and the maintenance, and, and there was money left over. And that's when I realized that, that owning properties really like owning your very own cash machine. Um, and I started buying a few more. And there were mainly single lets, to be honest, for a number of years. And I, I was buying and flipping a few. And in 2001, I actually left my full-time job at Cadbury's. Uh, I really liked Cadbury's. I liked the work, I liked the people. But what you I like didn't like, and I, oh, I love the product, the Cadbury's shop as well, brilliant. But you know what? Um, I, I didn't like getting up early in the morning. Um, to go to work and actually I, I do get up early now because I want to rather than have to and the other thing is I love holiday I go on a lot of holidays or, or until COVID I used to go on a lot of holidays and, and I didn't like the fact that I couldn't go on holiday whenever I wanted so that's really why I kind of go because I wanted that freedom in my life and once I had enough kind of to live on I, I left that full-time job it took me a couple more years by 2003 I'd completely replaced my income but it was only really in 2005 
when I, I'd, you know, I'd given up work, I was running PIN, I was teaching other people, and I was kind of thinking, okay, what can I teach people to really improve their profitability? And I look back over the 10 years I've been investing at that point, and probably my most profitable property was the first one I bought, which was never meant to be an investment for me to live there, but I was using it as an HMO. And I had this real light bulb, I thought, and actually it wasn't that much work either. And I thought, I need to get some more of these. So in, I think it's about 2005, I deliberately started to step up and bought a whole load of HMOs, typically houses that I converted into HMOs. And at that time, I was only doing five beds. Really, I would definitely suggest six beds are much better now. Um, doing five beds and, and very simple. I might have like a couple of en-suites and three people sharing a bathroom. Again, I'd have less people sharing bathrooms these days. Um, and that's kind of how I really got into HMOs. And it still remains my favorite strategy. Um, I think there is an oversupply of HMOs in many areas, and that's what puts a lot of people off. There are other things that put people off as well. But I think there's an oversupply of very average stock. I think that if you have really good product, I know you teach people when you have really good HMOs. Thank you. Um, I think that um, if you have good HMOs in the right area, you should always be able to fill them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are you still doing HMO developments now? Because I know you've gone on to do sort of bigger and bolder projects since those early days. Yeah, I, I, um, in about 2010, I started doing larger commercial to residential conversions. I've only done five. I've turned a couple of care, well, three care homes now into blocks of apartments. I've turned a, a 10,000 square foot youth center into apartments. I've converted uh, a pub into a guest house uh, and a couple of houses I've split into seven flats, three flats, etc. So I've done quite a bit of development. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually looking for commercial to residential, but purpose-built HMOs. I think there's going to be a massive opportunity in commercial uh, coming with, with the coming recession and also with changes to permitted development as well. So that's really exciting. Um, but I'm sort of buying HMOs as well. I, I'm literally, today I had a survey on an HMO I'm buying in Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham's just become Article 4, so we got a certificate of lawfulness in place. This is a landlord who, unfortunately, he... he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's not looked after it. It's a real hassle for him. He had a license, the license lapped, all sorts of problems. I can fix those problems. So I've come in, I'm buying it at a good price um, with the fact that there are problems, but I'm getting a really good price. So anyone that says there aren't deals, they don't know how to look properly. There are deals everywhere if you know what you're looking for. And in fact, that's very interesting because I think that uh, a lot of people are feeling very nervous about the market. They're feeling nervous about buying. Yeah, they don't yeah. know what, uh, what to believe. Um, so it'd be very interesting, first of all, to get your take on what do you see maybe the next six to 12 months in the property world bringing? Yeah. Okay, so uh, my view, and look, it's just my view, no one knows. It's just an opinion. I might be completely wrong, but my gut feeling is, you may know that right now we're having a bit of a mini boom, actually. Uh, estate agents are busy, surveyors are busy, um, brokers are busy. But I think that's because of the, the pent-up demand. So lots of transactions which couldn't happen during lockdown are now coming through. And also lots of investors like you and me who want to buy, they haven't been able to sell. So they're kind of rushing out now. They can do viewings and get mortgages. So I think that's why the mini boom's happening. Um, but interestingly, the Bank of England have predicted that because of the COVID-19 recession, they think property prices are going to come down 16%. And isn't it interesting that the government are bringing in incentives, they just 
literally yesterday announced this thing that um, if you're buying a property now up to £500,000, there's no stamp duty for first-time buyers. Now, if you're an investor like us or if it's a second home, you've got to pay the extra 3% stamp, okay, or extra surcharge, they're calling it. Um, but it's still better than it was. But why are they doing that? Why are they, why are they foregoing some of their tax revenue until next March? It's because they are paranoid and believe the property market's going to crash. Now, I think this will help. And but I don't think it's going to help enough. I still think we're going to see property prices come down. And the reason is because in November, sorry, in October, beg your pardon, when most of the government furlough schemes will come to an end, there are millions and millions of people who are on furlough right now who, um, you know, actually, I, I think what the government's done is actually pretty good you know they've stopped a lot of people who made redundant straight away hopefully many of those people will be brought back into their businesses but you know i reckon there are a load of people on furlough who the business thinks actually i don't need as many people as i used to need or maybe the business isn't going to make it maybe they're in retail or hospitality or events and they're, they're not going to make it through and, and a lot of people are not going to be brought back to work and i think we're going to see over over a period of a week or two maybe even overnight we're going to see millions and millions of people lose their jobs, go on to benefits. So, and that is going to have a massive ripple effect on the economy. So thinking about HMOs for a minute, what's that going to mean? Well, actually, I think it could be good for HMOs. And the reason is there are a lot of people who live on their own in studios or in apartments because they want a bit of their own space. But if you live in an apartment, not only do you pay the rent, you've got to pay all the bills. And when times are tough, people have to pull their belt in, spend less money. I think we might see people who live in, in apartments think either I'm going to move home with mum and dad, if that's even possible, or I might want to reduce my cost. I'm going to move into a shared house, into an HMO. And, you know, very often in HMOs, good HMOs, you know, you might have a really nice big kitchen, much bigger than they've got in their apartment. And yes, they don't have all the space to themselves, there's some shared space. But actually, sometimes living in an HMO, especially a really good HMO, can almost be better than living in an apartment and far more cost effective. So I think we're going to see an increase in demand for HMOs. Um, in my properties, I must say, touch wood, none of my tenants have struggled to pay. I did have a couple of voids over uh, the COVID-19. We couldn't do much about that. We're now filling those. Um, but no tenants have struggled. I had, I had one tenant uh, in a single let property who spoke to my agent as soon as the government announced these um, these uh, rent holidays and said, oh, I can't afford to pay. We said, well, okay, well, show us you're struggling and we'll work with you. And guess what? They didn't give us any proof and they just paid the rent. I think it was a knee-jerk reaction. I've had one tenant in one of my HMOs who is furloughed at the moment and they said, look, um, I can't afford to pay the full rent. Either I'm going to have to move home or can we negotiate on the rent? So we've negotiated they pay 80% of the rent because they're getting 80% of the salary. And they said, yeah, great, we're going to stay here. And you know what? Um, I think some HMO landlords are worried that if they've got working tenants now who are on furlough who get made redundant, those people will go into benefits and they don't want people on benefits in their houses. Um, I would advise generally it's good not to mix tenant types. So, you know, there are four types of tenants in HMO. You've got student tenants, uh, you've got young professionals, you've got working uh, people, and then you've got people who are on benefits. Um, working people, young professionals, you mix them, great. I wouldn't put students in with working people, and I wouldn't put people on benefits in with working people, personally. I don't have HMOs with people on benefits. I've got single lets with people on benefits, great. But I think benefits are a lot more work. Um, a lot of my clients will uh, give that kind of property to charities, 
and help people who wouldn't normally get accommodation, which is a really good thing to do, and they get a pretty good rent for them as well. Um, but you might have a situation where you have people who are working right now who offer who might get made redundant now personally i don't have a problem i'm not going to kick those tenants out they have had a job their intention is probably to get a job if they can it might take a bit of time but i'm willing to work with those people and support them and they can obviously go on to benefits to pay the rent or most of the rent anyway and and that's my view i think we have to be pragmatic i think there are going to be some challenges but if you work with your tenants and try and help them out and come with a mutual win-win hopefully they'll respect that and and want to stay with you long term it is my view I would completely agree. I think that there are going to be some changes and challenges. And I think as HMO landlords, we have to take that on the team and we have to recognise that this is as, as a result of what's happened with COVID. You, you, but actually as an entrepreneur, because we are entrepreneurs as business owners, we have yeah. to see the opportunities and, and go with them, don't we? You know, part oh, of our, our yeah. the blood that throbs through our veins is that of where is the opportunity and how can we make the most of it? And yeah. one of the things that we've been, if you like, um, sort of looking at and examining over the last few weeks and months is how we can work with our local council because our local council mm. is also scared that there's going to be an influx of people who are rough sleepers or homeless people who up till now have been housed in bed and breakfast or hotel accommodation but as those sectors yeah. start to open up again and they want to get tourists and they want to get families and they want to get people who pay the hotel rates those rooms are going to be no longer available for homeless and rough sleepers, but it's still going to be, going to be the council's responsibility to house those people. So I do yeah. think that there's going to be opportunities to do develop partnerships whereby you might find if you've got an HMO uh, and maybe you're able to move, if you've got a few HMOs, actually, you could possibly ask some tenants to move from one into another where they are grouped as you say, in the in the right type, you might have an yeah. opportunity then leasing that HMO to the local council and they can put those more vulnerable tenants in. You get a, a fixed rent every month and you don't have to manage that property. Absolutely. Win-win. Absolutely. And, and for some landlords, that is going to be the direction that they'll find the opportunities and they, they'll be going in that, that direction. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, Particularly. Sorry, no, I, was, I was going to say people need accommodation. They do. And also, um, a lot of people are freaking out at the moment about student HMOs um, because obviously there's been uncertainty as to whether universities are going to open up again. Um, I think most of them are, but they might have restricted hours and things. They might have some online training. Look, think about it this way. Universities are not really going to want to have these big campuses that are not being used. And students, the vast majority of students don't go to university just for the education. They're not going to be happy sitting at home doing online learning. They're going to want to go back and connect with their friends. And yes, there might be social distancing to contend with, but that's going to happen. So, again, as long as you have a good property in a good location, I think you should be able to rent it. But actually, if you can't rent it and maybe the student uh, demand is not as it was, um, maybe then actually doing exactly what you've just said and going to local council and, and maybe for a year or so giving it to the council uh, to help the homeless situation is probably a good idea. So it's about knowing how to adapt and being flexible. I think a big mistake many investors make is they start doing something and because it's working, they think, oh, great, I can do this forever. Well, look, the market is constantly changing and you need to maybe adapt your strategy to the market you need to um, adapt your thinking and your behavior because if you if you do the same stuff all the time there will become a point where what you're doing doesn't really work so you've got to keep updating what's going on that's why hopefully 
Facebook lives like this kind of bring people up to speed with what's actually happening. So there's a lot of, as you said earlier on, that there's a lot of changes that the government are trying to kind of, uh, if you like, navigate and, 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 and almost create some levers in the property market. I agree with you that they want to increase transactions because yep. while at the moment we've had this pent up demand, yep. now they've kind of, you know, the doors are opened again. And so we're seeing property prices go up and people feeling, you know, a little bit confident. I think there's also an underlying knowledge that actually transaction levels and, and house prices across the country have actually come down. And I think if you look at the nationwide stats, that's what they're demonstrating. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. As you say, we've also got this tsunami potentially ahead of us of uh, unemployed uh, tenants or unemployed people. And that's going mm. to affect the economy. And of course, we've got rising national debt against very low interest rates. So we have yeah. this perfect storm of of this this kind of whirlwind coming and whether we like it or not as property investors we're often in the focus we're in the center of that part of the economy because housing is such a critical part of the UK economy so in your view Simon what do you think property investors should be doing now to either protect themselves or educate themselves for the for this coming recession what what strategies and tools do they need to learn to be able to to help themselves and to make the most of this opportunity okay so a couple of thoughts here so first of all um what we're going through right now, this pandemic, which is really causing all of this, no one's ever really, not in living memory, no one's really experienced this. Um, and, and obviously, I think it's the, the, the pandemic's pretty serious. People have died, more will die, unfortunately. But actually, it's the financial impact that's going to have the biggest impact on everyone. So I think, first of all, recognising that we are going to go into recession. And this is why the government are doing these incentives to try and stimulate things. And Boris's bill, bill, bill message was well received by the industry as well. But it's because they, they need to get out of this situation. Um, so first of all, recognize that things are going to change. Things are going to be different. Now, although no one's been through this pandemic before, I can tell you I've been through a crash like this before, the last crash back in 2008, 2009, which was caused because of different reasons. It was the global financial crisis, the meltdown, um, you know, banks stopped lending and, you know, there's all this toxic debt. In other words, they lent money to people who probably never really had the ability to pay it back. And this all kind of suddenly came out and it meant that, you know, some, some banks fell over. In fact, you might remember the government had to step in and save RBS and Lloyds. They were all privatised, uh, essentially, uh, um, uh, nationalised, if you like. You know, the, the government had to come in and put money in to stop the banks going down. It was a major situation. People were panicking. People were selling properties. A lot of people bought properties in the 2006, 2007 peak and they paid too much. The market was massively overheated. Everybody, including banks, surveyors, everyone thought the market would keep going up. And obviously markets don't always go up. They're cyclical. They come up and they come down. But when everyone's making money, everyone thinks it's going to continue forever, which isn't the case. So yeah. let's recognize that this has happened in the past. A crash has happened in the past. I... I'm guessing here, but I don't think it's going to be as severe as last time. Last time we saw property prices come down on average 20, 25, even up to 30%. I don't think we're going to see that. I think the Bank of England estimate of maybe 16% might be about right, but it's going to vary from area to area, obviously, of the type of property. But we're going to see prices come down. Now, what that means is that there and the reason prices come down going back to real simple macroeconomics is there's more supply than there is demand 
Okay, therefore prices come down. Now, actually, interestingly, the, the, from a buyer's point of view, the stamp duty holiday that was introduced for properties up to 500,000, that will stimulate demand, I think. However, I think you'll also get lots of people who've been thinking about selling their property below 500,000, and then I think, oh, now it's going to be a good time for me to sell because there are going to be more people wanting to buy because they say the stamp duty. So actually, we might see an increase of property coming onto the market as well because of that. So it's going to be see, and no one knows what's going to happen, but it'll be really interesting. The other thing is that, um, and something I was saying, you know, last year and beginning of this year, way before all this pandemic, was something that we need to recognise as landlords is that there are many, many landlords who are affected by Section 24. Now, just a really quick recap on this, Wendy. This is the legislation that came in in April 2017. And what it means is we as, ta uh, we as investors are taxed differently. So if you own property in your own name, which the vast majority of people do because it was the most tax efficient way of doing it, not anymore, but it was. Yeah. And if you're a higher rate taxpayer, and many investors are because they've got property, they've got businesses, whatever it might be, or good income. And if you have mortgages, which again, most investors have, it means you're gonna be paying more tax on your property. So we saw it at the PIN meetings in 2019 and beginning of 2020. We saw landlords, long-term landlords who owned property for 10, 15, 20 years, and their exit was to eventually retire. Was We've seen those people coming forward saying, you know what, I think I might want to retire early because Section 24 is phased in over four years. Once that's complete, there will be some landlords who might be getting maybe 60 or 70% of the income they used to get after tax in their pocket because of these new tax changes. So many of them are saying, you know what, I, I don't think I wanna do all this work, have all the hassle for 60 to 70% of what I used to earn. So we're seeing some of those people decide to bring forward the decision about retiring and retire early. So what does this mean for you? Well, I think there'll be properties that might have not been available before. Maybe an article four, as I'm sure everyone watching this is very familiar with article four. Um, that a land was going to hold forever, but actually they're retiring, they're going to start selling those. Um, I did have a comment when I, I shared this once on, on a, a video, and someone said, yeah, but why on earth, if I'm a new investor, why would I want to buy a property that a, a long-term landlord is selling because they can't make money from it? They said, well, no, it's not they don't make money, it's they're making less money. And if you as a new investor come and buy, typically in a company structure, you're not affected by Section 24. So you can buy a property that a landlord is not making that much money on, have exactly the same tenants at the same rent, and you will make more money in the company than they do in their own private name because of Section 24 isn't affected if you're in a company. So we're going to see this long-term landlords. We saw it last year. We can see that as well. And also, they're going to be landlords who are worried about oh, what's going to happen with, you know, are tenants going to be able to pay the rent when people end furlough, et cetera. So all this concern is there, which means we're seeing more and more landlords looking at selling their properties as well. So, again, that increases the supply, which means prices are going to come down. This means if there aren't as many buyers in the market, landlords might be more flexible and they might be open to, to other creative solutions. Um, so landlords, I think in particular, might be more open to rent to rent, which is a great way of doing HMOs, as you know. They might be open if they, they want to actually sell. They might do things like vendor finance, 
where they sell the property, they get all the money, but they actually lend you some money back to cover the deposit. Or they might do one of my favorite strategies, purchase lease options, where it's a bit like a cross between a rent to rent and a, a, um, a straightforward vendor finance, because basically um, you take the property on, you manage it a bit like rent to rent, but also you've got the rights to buy in the future at a price you fix today. Now, why would a landlord agree to that? Think, well, and, and the, the problem with purchase these options is a brilliant strategy, but it only works in some circumstances. That's the first thing. And the other thing is that many people, when they learn about this really powerful strategy, they try and use it all the time and it doesn't work all the time. It's got to work in certain circumstances and they incorrectly assume, oh, that doesn't work. Well, it does work. They just weren't doing it properly. So think about this. A landlord says, well, I'm going to be paying more tax. I'm going to retire. I'm going to sell my property. If they have a number of properties, if they sell all their properties in one go, they're going to pay a lot of capital gains tax. So Wendy, as you know, capital gains tax is the difference between where they buy a property and then they sell a property. That difference is the profit they've made. They can take off capital improvements made. They can take off buying costs and selling costs, but the profit they've got to pay capital gains tax on. Now, um, each year, we all get an individual, a personal capital gains tax allowance. I think it's £12,000 at the moment. And if they own property in joint names with their partner, they both get that allowance. So it means each year they could sell a property and get 12000 or in joint names, £24,000 tax-free. Now, if you're a high-rate taxpayer, that's quite a lot of money to get tax-free, right? And so what most people do, if they're selling a portfolio, they'll phase it over a number of years to use that capital gains allowance each year because you, you can, it's not per property, it's per year. And if you don't use the allowance, you, you lose it. So you've got to sell one property each year. The problem with that for a retiring landlord is they've got to hang around until the very last property sold in order to be able to then go and sit on a beach and do what they want to do. And if they're managing themselves, they might not want to do that. So we can step in. We can agree a schedule over a number of years, which maximizes their capital gains allowance. They can go on a sit on a beach. That's if they can actually fly there, obviously. And, um, and we can take over responsibility for the property. So, so there's a really good tax saving there, first of all, and they don't get the hassle. Now, a lot of people who don't understand options say, well, hang on a minute. Why on earth would the landlord give up all their rental income? Well, here's the point. If they sold their property now, they'd lose the rental income anyway. If you think about it, they'd get a lump of cash they could put in the bank, but they're not going to get any return in the bank right now because interest rates are so low. So actually, we can structure a deal where we don't buy it now. We buy it in a few years time. But the whole point is we can actually offer them pretty much the full market price. And I'm sure you know, I'm sure you spoke to landlords, um, Wendy, who uh, they want to sell their properties. They often want a very high price, right? Yeah. They're not going to get that high price in the current market. But with an option, we can give them the full market price today. Now, why would we do that? You might think, well, surely you want to buy the discount. Well, today's full market price, if your option is long enough and the value goes up over time, in the future, the price might be the, the market price might be higher than the price you can get to agree. So today's full price might well be discounted in the future, as long as there's enough years to help us get through this little dip and then the market will recover again. Why is the market going to recover? Because we live on an island with a limited amount of accommodation and an increasing population. So over the long term, both rents and property value,
and who's go up. They don't always go up. We've said that before. They're cyclical. They come up, they come down. But this is why the government's trying to encourage so, so much building now, because they're saying, look, we need more accommodation. They see it as a great way to kickstart the economy to try and stop us going into uh, recession. So because we've got landlords who I think are going to be selling, um, what that means is I think there's going to be more opportunity to purchase these options than ever before. But guys, you, you've got to understand how to do them properly. Um, Wendy, when I speak in a, a room of people, I might and I talk about this particular strategy. It's just one of the ones we teach to our masterminders. I say, stick your hands up if you've done a or heard of purchase these options. At least half the room stick their hand up. Then I say, keep your hand up if you've actually done a purchase option. Most people's hands go down. And only a few people, usually my students, have got their hands up. And I think it's, it's one of those things that people think, oh, I know about that. But if you've not done an option, I would suggest you don't know about it well enough because you would have done an option by now because in the right circumstances, they're so powerful. So one of the things I was going to say was also with regard to tired landlords, you, you mentioned tired landlords earlier, and I think tired landlords are a section of the market that we have perhaps ignored. I think Section 24 has certainly brought to the surface those, those tired landlords. What I know yes. is that tired landlords have tired properties. Mm. Their, their properties reflect their state of mind. They Absolutely. don't want to put any more capital they haven't done the maintenance. Some of the repairs have been let go of for a while because in their own mind, they're thinking, oh, shall I keep or shall I sell? And as you say, the, the, the whole issue about capital gains tax has meant that they've been probably procrastinating and delaying making that decision. And But in the meantime, yes. they still their, their properties are degrading very gradually, but it's happening. They then can't yeah. attract tenants. So their, their rents are, are, are reducing. So... Going back to the point you made about somebody thinking, well, why? how can I make more money than somebody else who's, if I buy their HMO, the, one of the reasons why you can make more money is because by probably by putting in an injection of energy, a lick of paint and a bit of love, yeah. you can bring yes. those HMO properties back to a really nice standard and yes, exactly. raise the rents. And, and that's another reason why the tired landlord type is a very important part of this this equation, because, you know, there are I mean, many, many landlords who've been doing this for 30, 40 years. They've been doing it since before buy to let mortgages were even created. That's yeah. how long landlords and they are now maybe, you know, way beyond retirement age, but still using this as a, as a source of income, but are now ready to let go of that asset. They don't yeah. need it anymore. They've made their money. They're now ready to let it go. And they, they want to pass it on to somebody who's got the energy yeah. and enthusiasm to bring it up to standard. So I believe that those landlords are actually looking for people who have the skills and the knowledge who can do a re they're, they're business people. So they're looking for other business people who can do that kind of negotiation with them and find a win-win. And I think that's yeah. where purchase options sit beautifully at that, that zenith. Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. And actually, if you think about it, these landlords who, who have, have, uh, have just not given us, they might be getting, they are tired themselves. And your analogy, actually, because they just haven't really looked after the properties. And so you can lift the rents and lift the value of the property by just doing some really basic cosmetic work sometime. So there's a huge opportunity with that. And the other thing is, 
just think about if they go and put, if they do sell and just put the money in the bank, they're going to get hardly any return. So some of these people, they might have actually paid the property off many, many years ago. And actually, you can still give them a reasonable income. And I want to give everyone a little tip here. When you're doing a purchase lease option, it does depend on each deal's different, obviously. But ideally, if you can give the owner on a monthly basis more money than they would get if they put the money in the bank. Now, if there's a mortgage, take that into it. You want to cover the mortgage. You want to cover the extra they're going to pay because of Section 24 as well but then you could still give them more than they would get in the bank that's a win for them and if you can do it so that you're paying less than you would pay on a mortgage again that's a real win for you so as you quite rightly said i, I know you know this from having done the three-day accelerator course for me wendy ethics and win-win is really important i believe there were too many investors out there who were just trying to get the best deal for themselves or trying to screw people down and you could do that if you want but I believe if you go out with a genuine intention, as, as you said, we're businessmen, we're entrepreneurs, we're problem solvers. If we can find people with a problem and come up with an ethical solution that's really going to help that person and we, we give them what they need, they're far more likely to give us what we need and we can get a good deal. And so a motivated seller, we solve their problem, they're flexible on the price and all the terms of the sale. And these landlords... They're motivated to sell. They don't want the hassle anymore. They want to walk away from it and they would like to hand it over to someone else who's going to look after their property and treat it like their own and, and give them a great result. So, yeah, in the right circumstances, this works really, really well. So um, I, think, I think the other thing I was going to just raise again, we were talking about economics, which is a sort of a little bit of a pet topic of mine. I quite enjoy looking at the economic indicators and uh, understanding economics and I think since investing in property I've become much more aware of actually how that knowledge helps when you're looking right. at uh, strategies and and uh, as you said nobody's got a crystal ball we don't know what the future will bring but I think no. it's about being prepared and yeah. the two factors that I see first of all incredibly low interest rates so I got a letter from my bank. I've got £10,000 in a nationwide savings account just sort of sitting there, not really doing very much, actually. But it's not quite enough to do anything with at the moment. So it's just sort of sitting there for a rainy yeah. day, you might say. Um, and I, I, when I originally started that, uh, that account, I was probably getting maybe 3%, 4% interest. And yeah. I got a lovely, friendly letter from the nationwide uh, a few weeks ago saying um dear, dear wendy we are um we're going to be actually reducing the interest on your account it's going from one percent to not point one percent so i'm getting 10 times less interest than i was before yeah. It, yeah. You know, it, although it's only a small gradation it's 10 times less and no. coupled with the power of inflation which yeah. means that the value of that money is being eroded gradually year by year. I'm actually losing, I think I've worked out I'm losing 15 pounds a year by having that money sitting in the bank account. Yes. And I think they, these inf, you know, inflation and interest rates are two other parts of that seesaw. 
that when we start to talk to investors, if they've got some understanding of that, even at a simple level, and many property investors understand what interest rates mean because they've got a mortgage. So they'll understand 3%, 4%, et cetera. When you yeah. start to say to them, your savings rate is probably 0.1% and the inflation rate currently is maybe 1.5%, it feels still very low. So we don't notice it. It's not like 7 or 10 or 20%. So it doesn't feel like it's being eroded but if you look at the maths it's massively being eroded and if you've just sold a property for two hundred thousand pounds if you look at that over a period of even two or three years you've lost so much money and you call yourself yeah. a property investor <laughs> exactly exactly I, I think people sometimes they don't they don't pay attention to the detail about this kind of detail and and actually you're right. If someone's got money in the bank, they are losing money right now. I had a similar letter from HSBC, and I don't have accounts of HSBC. I don't like banks generally, but still. And um, but I had a letter from them uh, about one account I've still got with them, and and they they almost seemed quite proud to announce how much interest they were paying. And there was there was depending how much normally the more you have, you get a higher interest rate. And and the top level is if you have a million pound plus in the bank, oh, and if it's a, a 90 day note, you've got to even notice to get the money out. Normally you get the highest rate, but every single rate had gone to 0 0.01, just like your rates. And I think that's the lowest they can possibly pay people really. And, and you kind of think, what is the point of that? What is the point? So again, think with having this awareness, it means that you will know family and friends who might have money in the bank. Maybe they've got some redundancy, maybe they've got some inheritance, et cetera. And it's really not doing anything for them in the bank at all. And you could go to them and say, look, I said, look I, I, and especially if you've got some properties already, you've got some track record, or maybe you're doing rent to rent to give you some track record. Say, look, I, I kind of know what I'm doing here. Show, show them the properties. And if they're not yours, tell that they're not mine, but I want to start buying some. And show them the numbers to say, look, here's how I can afford to pay you a really good rate. And, and here's a mistake people make. They often, because they might be able to pay someone even, I don't know, 8, 10% because your HMO is making so much money. But if you offer someone too much, they get scared. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true. So I teach my students, don't ever offer anyone a rate. Ask them how much would they like, they like. And let me give you something here for free, Wendy. Really valuable tip. Anyone who wants to raise money. First question you ask someone is, so how much are you earning on your money right now? Because you want them to realize that it is a very, very low rate. And it's probably less than half a percent. It might be less than 0.1 percent, you know. Um, so that's nothing, basically. So you get them thinking at a very low level. Then the second question you ask is, OK, if we were theoretically to work together, how much would you like to earn? And the vast majority of people, I've asked a lot of people this, Will come back and they'll say anywhere between three and five percent, which is a phenomenally high return for them given what they're getting in the bank. But actually, that's kind of what we'd pay on a mortgage, maybe slightly less than a mortgage. So we can use their money. They might be really happy to tie that money up for five years, even because the third question you ask is: look, if I was able to pay that high rate, how long would you like to get that high rate for? And often they say, Well, for as long as possible, forever. Sometimes they say, oh, well, only a year because I need some money in a year. Well, great. Well, don't give me all the money. Just keep some of it yourself. But this means that they might be quite happy to put that money in. So actually, you can buy an HMO, put the money in from someone else. And especially if it's a tired landlord where you can raise the rents, raise the value, 
you know, rather than just relying on the market to go up, which will over time, you're forcing some appreciation, which means you can refinance and then give them their money back. If you can't give them all the money back, that's fine as long as you've agreed it with them because they're still getting the great return. And Wendy, I know you've worked with other investors as well. And, and I found that when you give money back to people and they've been getting a great return, they say, well, thanks for the money back. But um, uh, do you want to have it back? Because they don't want it back because they don't know what to do with it. No. So actually, there are people who will lend you money for a long time. Uh, and and that's, of course, the power of vendor finance as well, because you find that you know, you, you've got the tired landlord. Uh, it might be that they do want to actually crystallize that that sale so that they're happy to yeah. pay if you've got capital gains tax. So you do end up maybe buying it. But actually, this is where vendor finance is so powerful because you can use their money, give them yeah. a return and you can buy the property with their money. So th yes. th this can work incredibly well too. Absolutely. Now, there are some there are some people who don't really know what they're talking about, who say things like, oh, yeah, but you can't get mortgages with options or with vendor finance. Well, you need to know to do it in the right way. Most lenders would like to see you as the investor put some money into the deal. And that's absolutely true. But there are bridging companies. And, and I've, I've got another business, crowdproperty.com, where we fund developments and bridging and stuff. And because we are run by property investors and developers, we understand these things and we like clever deals so we will fund a a um a vendor finance at the right kind of levels obviously right kind of loan to value but you know we're more than happy if the the owner is putting the deposit in so you could buy it with us for six months um get it up and running operate it as an hmo get the track record then put it onto normal hmo finance and when you refinance it doesn't really matter it's, it's about the point of purchase and with options again um you, you can get uh when you if you have an option say you agree a £200,000 purchase is worth two fifty in the future, you would need to get a mortgage at the price you've agreed. So you put the deposit in. However, someone like Crowd Property, again, what we can do is um, if there's been some good growth there, we can help you give you often all the money to actually buy it and then you refinance it six months later. So there, again, it's about educate. If you don't educate yourself, you don't know how to do things properly. And, and the problem is that sometimes people think educating themselves is is going on Facebook groups and watching YouTube videos. And yes, you can learn a lot. And, and I put a lot of information out. Wendy, I know you put a lot of free information out as well, which is great. The problem with that is there's almost too much information. And also there are some people out there who don't know what they're talking about and put misinformation out there because they've never done some of these strategies. And so, you know, you want to listen to people who've actually done it and know what they're talking about. And the reason that people come on courses and they pay to do training, whether it's online training or not so much physical right now, but the reason they pay for it is because that information is all organized into a structure. So you say, right, here's what you actually need to know. Here's how you actually do it step by step by step. And that's much easier than watching a load of YouTube videos and trying to figure it out yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why you and I both very much believe in education. Uh, we, are, we are teachers, we're trainers, we're mentors. We both believe very very much we invest in our own education uh, since working yeah, with you i've invested in my education in lots of ways because i very much believe yeah. in it and and i know that you do too and uh, I, I think for those people who as you say free, free education is fine um but yeah. unfortunately you know, yeah. yes, absolutely um but it doesn't necessarily get you to your goal and so 
certainly I know that I would not have been able to achieve financial freedom to leave my job to create a legacy for my children to develop a, a multi-million pound property portfolio had I not invested in myself and learned from other people yeah. who are a few or many steps ahead of me how to do it uh, and I think that's incredible yeah. another really important point here as well especially if you're thinking oh well okay um, I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to you might have some money and, and I said, if you have your own money, obviously use your own money first. But at some point, everyone runs out of money, no matter how much, no matter how much you have. OK, so if you want to be going to other people to either do private loans or if you want to do joint ventures with people, think about this. If you haven't invested in yourself, why on earth should someone else invest in you? Because you, you even haven't had the confidence to, to do that. Why would someone do it? And. And, you know, when you educate yourself, you learn how to find the good deals. You know what a good deal is. And actually, that's the hardest thing. A lot of people think, oh, I don't have the money. There is so much money out there that really is not the problem. When you learn how to find great deals, there will be people who don't have the knowledge or the time or the energy or the inclination to find deals. And they'd much rather joint venture with someone like you, or even they don't even want to get it, but they just want to give you money and get a great return because they can't get it in the bank right now. But it all starts with you knowing how to find great deals and what a great deal is. Yeah, that that's really good advice. I think that that's key i think somebody once said uh free education is worth every penny and i thought that was a great Absolutely. phrase Absolutely. <laughs> now, we, we, i do loads of videos loads of youtube and stuff and and loads of free webinars and stuff and, and that's great and people get a certain amount from that but the people who are smart say you know what and, and it's good to I think you should always, if you're going to invest with someone, check them out, do your research, check out they know what they're talking about um, and listen to some of their stuff. Get to know them before you spend any money with them and make sure they've got some sort of money back guarantee as well to make sure that if it's not what you expect, you get your money back within a reasonable time period, obviously. Um, they can't guarantee what you're going to do. You know, you have to take the action. But what they can do is guarantee the quality of the information, the fact that it's correct and up to date, and that other people have been able to take that information and successfully implement. So make sure people who you're working with have got lots of successful case studies. So, you know, they're not only good at doing it themselves, but they're good at transferring that knowledge as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you have that knowledge, there's no stopping. And, you know, I believe that the next 12 months, Wendy, which is where this all started, there's going to be so many opportunities because lots of people want to sell, not as many people buying. And you know what? It might be harder to get finance from banks and things because if they're bringing loan to values down, um, if they're making criteria tougher, if you're a portfolio landlord with four or more properties, what that means is they look at all your portfolio. They look at the loan to values. They look at the cash flow coming in. And actually, if values are coming down, it might be harder to get mortgages. So things like you know, vendor finance and things like um, purchasing options where you're not having to get a mortgage are going to be even more relevant than ever before. Yes. So um, just a quick question. Let's go some questions. Yeah, go do it. Yeah. So um, we've had a question from Partha, who's written uh, an essay in the chat panel. Partha, I love I love your essay. Thank you. I'm trying to just summarize it so it's not too long for everybody to read. I actually know Partha. He's a good friend of mine. Um, so Partha's investing in Manchester. And I think what he's finding at the moment is he's looking for commercial property that he can convert in, into residential. But he's finding that the prices that are being asked by the vendors are too high. He, he's not 
able to get a good return on his investment. And uh, estate agents are still fairly buoyant, as you said earlier. They're they're busy. Transactions going on, Um, but he's a little bit worried that. financial difficulties might be around the corner. So we might have a bit of a boom right now, but then there is likely to be a crash. Yes. At Christmas time, you know, values are going to go down. He's got money in the bank because he's just been refinancing some of his HMOs. So he's got he's yep. got cash in the bank he wants to buy. I mean, it's a nice position to be in, isn't it? It but is. But he's struggling yeah. because he can't find <clears throat> What okay. advice would you give him? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I've got two things to say. <clears throat> First of all, Great position to be in. I'm refinancing at the moment. I'm taking money out because if you intend to buy more properties, and one of the ways you're going to do that is using some of the equity in existing property, I would recommend, well, I can't give you financial advice, but I'd recommend you think about remortgaging now because if values drop down, that will limit the amount you can actually take out of those properties. So I'd rather get the money now and put it in the bank. Now, there's obviously a little cost to doing that. And it sounds like Paul's got a bit of a money in his burning a hole in his pocket right now. But I would say, say, look, you know what? I'd rather have that and have that little cost. And some of what I really I'll put aside just to cover the interest on that, because I want to make sure when great deals come up, I am ready to move. I've seen people make the mistake, Wendy, that they've got equity. They think, well, I'll wait till I find a good deal. Then I'll remortgage. And either that process has taken too long or something's happened. I, I remember 2008, 2007, saying to my students on Mastermind, guys, remortgage, get your money ready to go. And people say, yeah, I'll just do it when I need to. Then the crash comes and people couldn't get money out at all. And they said, I wish I'd listened to you. I said, look, I tell you this stuff because it kind of makes sense. So <clears throat> if you want to remortgage and you plan to do that already to buy more properties, get it done as soon as possible and get the money ready. Yes, you might have a little way to it. Now, the other thing is make sure you don't become a motivated buyer. That's someone who's so desperate to get a deal, they go and buy anything. You've got to wait for good deals. And I think Parthan, patience is the thing you need to wait for here. If you, like me and Wendy, believe that prices are going to come down, <clears throat> just wait. There are going to be some great deals. Now, having said that, one caveat I want to add here. Some people say, well, Simon, If the market's coming down, surely we should wait till it hits the very bottom. And when it hits the very bottom, maybe then we should buy. That is a brilliant plan. (laughs) The only problem is nobody knows when that's going to be. Excuse me. Nobody knows when that's going to be. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. And when it does hit the bottom and everybody knows it, the press, all the sellers, all the landers, Say, oh, it's hit the bomb. It's only going to go up now. That means that then sellers live with this hope that someone's going to come and pay more than you're offering right now. So when the market's going up, you can still get deals, but it's harder. I guarantee you, because I've been here before, when the market's coming down, it's easier to get deals because people think it's going to come down. They'd rather sell now than in a couple of years time. Because especially if they had property in the mid-2000s, they will have seen their properties come down 20 30% in the past. And they might think it could be as bad as that again. So I would say you've done the right thing, I believe, by refinancing, getting your money ready to go. Just be patient. And if what you're doing isn't working, maybe you need to learn some new strategies to find some more motivated sellers. If you're just going to agents, you know, right now they're all busy. There's lots of competition. Maybe try, if you don't know how to go direct 
to the seller. And that's a way of finding people who might be a bit more motivated. Um, some of those tired landlords, my, one of my favorite strategies, and it still works, and people think everyone does it, but they don't, is landlord letters, writing direct to landlords on the HMO register. Um, that's a great way of finding potential deals, whether it be rent to rent, purchase this option, straightforward purchase, vendor finance. You're looking for people who have got properties they might want to get rid of. Yeah, fantastic. And I think uh, I think I've been in property for many years, Simon, like you. Uh, I had a small portfolio for a number of years, which didn't really grow. And it was only when I got into HMOs that I really started to make proper money. Um, but having observed yeah. that cycle, uh, I, I, I completely concur with what you say, that you, you, you should never procrastinate on getting your money out because cash in the mm. bank gives you power. It allows you yeah. to transact faster it gives you you know grist to the mill to be able to go out and find the deals and as you say as long as you're not motivated buyer you're you're you you can transact fast and for many people as you say it's speed and certainty that they're looking for yeah and speed and certainty to do a transaction a purchase transaction is great but equally that's where purchase lease options come in because they offer that speed and certainty um Absolutely. so simon as we sort of uh, we we come we draw our wonderful interview to a close, um, can you just give people an idea about where they can go? What can they do to learn about purchase lease options? Yes. Because it's it feels like it's a bit of a sort of mysterious kind of subject, shrouded in a bit of mystery. How can you learn more? Couple couple of resources. First of all, my book Property Magic, uh, chapter number six, is all about purchasing options. That will give you a really good introduction of flavour. You can get it on Amazon, or you can listen on audio as well on Audible. Um, I also have a podcast called the Property Magic Podcast, free of charge, every Tuesday, fifteen to twenty minutes of great. I've no guests, no adverts, just great content from my mastermind program also from the book property magic you can get that on itunes or google play or on spotify and, and by the way if you're not into podcasts i really suggest doing because it it's a great way to to choose what you're putting into your head and really get some great valuable information completely free of charge um and then also i um at the moment we we are um we have various home study training programs one i have which uh, we opened up in January. Uh, I was going to do it next January again, but I bought it forward. We have a whole training program about purchase lease options. And I bought it forward because we are going to take all of my mastermind students through that training. And so whenever we do that, we open up to people who are not on mastermind. They can kind of pay to come in. So I'm doing a, a webinar all about that. I think you have a link, Wendy, which maybe we can share in this group. Um it's it's um it's next Wednesday. Uh, come and have click on the link. Come and register and listen in for yourself. And when you understand, I'm going to talk about you know what are purchases options. How do you find them? How do you make them work? And you can decide if it's something you want to do or not. And basically, if you want to come do some training, great, come and do it. And we have a money back guarantee, and we put an incredible offer together because I want to kind of really make it a no brainer. Anyone who wants to get acquire more property in the next six to 12 months who sees the opportunity i want to make it just so easy for them to do um we've got a great great offer and a money back guarantee so there's really no risk for people so i think the next step if people are interested they could go and um register on that on your link uh, and uh, come and join me on that live webinar next wednesday and, and make up their own mind um so i hope that kind of gives people some guidance on, on what they can do and how they can move forward 
That's that's great. Thank you. Yes, I'll put the link in the once we finish the live interview, I'll put that link in the box below so anybody can click on that and uh, and sign up for next week. Um, okay, quick question coming in now. Sorry, I know we said we were about to finish. Yeah, but, I'm happy to someone, do as long as you want. Um, what is your view on investors utilizing the government bounce back loan to improve working capital in a property business? So, so I want to make two distinctions here. Um, I, I when bounce back loans are set, I'll talk about the bounce back loans in just one moment. Before I do, I, I just want to talk about mortgage holidays. Um, and and a lot of people I know have taken out mortgage holidays. There was a real knee-jerk reaction in kind of end of March, beginning of April. And 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 I did some videos on my YouTube. That's another resource you can go and check out, check out my YouTube channel. I said, the guys, I don't think you should take them out because effectively you're saying to a lender, um, oh, I can't afford to pay my mortgage. Can I have a holiday for three months? Well, if you want to go and get a remortgage or further purchase and you're on a mortgage holiday, the lender's going to, it doesn't have Affect your credit rating, they'll take that into account. And so, mortgage brokers have confirmed to me now if you're on a mortgage holiday, it's very difficult to get a mortgage because mm. lenders are quite rightly being saying, Well, is that really a good idea to give you more money? So, you've got to be very careful about these things you do. And people have also asked, Well, what about bounce back loans? Is that the same? I think bounce back loans are different because a, a mortgage holiday is because I can't afford to pay my mortgage right now. That's why you get them. Whereas a bounce back loan is to help you to invest in your business, to grow your business. Okay. So I think they're different, first of all. And, and it's really a business that gets a bounce back loan. Um, however, um, I don't think that they were designed to be used as deposits for property investments. And if you told a lender, how are you fund this? Oh, I'm using my bounce back loan. They probably would not give you a mortgage. So, um, you know, it, it's a great way to boost your business and, and, and invest in your business. Great. So I have taken out a bounce back loan on one of my businesses. and We've done exactly that. Um, but be very careful in the, you know, you probably shouldn't really. Now, despite me saying this, I'm sure some people will use it, but don't tell the lender that's what you're doing because that's not really the purpose of, of them. And that's kind of all I'd like to comment on, if that's okay. <laughs> yes, of course. It's a bit of a tricky area. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Simon, one last thing before we go. I'm launching my podcast tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. Uh, HM goes live tomorrow. So I'm really excited about that. Brilliant. Um, got, I've already got some episodes in the bank. So uh, anybody who subscribes tomorrow is, is going to get uh, lots of episodes. And I've got a bit of a competition. But you are a bit of a seasoned podcaster now. You, you launched yours a, a little while ago. And you've been regularly podcasting. Yeah, it was only, only last October. Um, last so we've just done my 40, 41st edition, I think. Um, just recorded that today. So, so yeah, almost a year. Sorry, carry on. Sorry. Well, can you give me any advice? What tips can you give to a newbie podcaster? Yeah. So first of all, tell everyone about it. Uh, not everyone listens to podcasts, but there's a real core of people who absolutely love podcasts. So I would put it all over your social media. Uh, maybe ask some of your clients to spread the word. And if you send me some links, I'll put it through some of my social media for you as well. I'm happy to do that for you, Wendy, because um, I think, you know, you you know what you're talking about and, and I encourage people to listen to podcasts. And, you know, I, I've got a pretty abundant attitude. You know, there are other network meetings as well as PIN. And I say to her, look, go to PIN meetings, but go to other ones as well and, and listen listen to other people, other people's podcasts, go to other trainers, you know, because I think you'll always learn something from different people. Um, as long as they know what they're talking about, as you obviously do, I, I think it's good to kind of get a cross-pollination of, of knowledge and education. Um, so I would get, I would encourage you to 
um, you know, encourage people to send them out uh, to to share. Um, actually, on the podcast, encourage people to come and give you a, a five star review, um, and also maybe to uh, say what they like about it. Um, I think making them them really good value, as I know you would, and topical as well. So I'm just doing one just finished one actually that's all about the stamp duty that's going to come out next week so very very topical so i think that's kind of good be careful not to date it um but um you can always delete one later on if you, if you think it's dated or just replace it um and as i know you do just continue to give great value to people give them lots of great information and uh you know people will will be attracted to you wendy that's that's the basic thing great well thank you very much i'll, I'll try and follow in your footsteps simon <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Well, listen, Simon, it's been just such a pleasure to have you on. There's always a great depth of knowledge and expertise there, which I know everybody really values listening to. Um, I think that, you know, it's it's so interesting listening to you because even after a few years, I'm, I'm, it's just a pleasure to, to talk to somebody who understands more than just HMOs or purchase lease options. You've got a wider picture. You're, you're well-educated. Yeah you've got something to say and I think that makes for a depth of knowledge and experience that is really unparalleled actually in in the property world so well I'm really honored to have had you today on this video and we've had quite a few people watching live but I know there's lots of people who watch these recordings so after today I'll put the link uh, down below so that if anyone can see that opportunity and they, they want to grab it then you want to get onto Simon's webinar next week talking about purchase lease options and uh and work with him to to really make that happen yeah it, and you know what it's it, if i say to myself it, it's a really great webinar and uh we did it we did it this week uh, and i'm doing it again because we were oversubscribed we had over three thousand people register um because mm -hmm. it's all about the market and what's going on and and you know, i've never had that many people so there is a huge opportunity coming guys and either you get educated and do something about it or you're going to have the pain of regret of once again missing one of the best opportunities. So take action, guys. Come and listen to the webinar and just make up your own mind. If you want, and you want to go and do it yourself, great. Or if you want me to help you, fantastic. You can invest in yourself. Great. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you, have a great day. Speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.